Welcome to Lay of the Brand, a podcast where we sit down with the experts on the latest innovations in marketing, creative, and PR, and the way all these disciplines are revolutionizing how the tech industry communicates and sells to the world. Richard Sheehy, this time on Lay of the Brand, performance marketing. Just what is it and how is it changing the industry? So let's get the lay of the brand from Merit Group's very own Abigail Bracey. She's a senior marketing project manager. Welcome, Abby. Good to see you. Great to see you, Rich. Thanks so much. Um, You know, the first question I want to ask is that, you, you know, you've been in marketing for a while and the term marketing is is fairly well known, and, and maybe a couple decades ago, everyone had a sense of what it was, but that, that's been quickly changing. So I guess, what's sort of the before and after picture? Tell us about maybe the days before uh, performance marketing and, and why, you know, why that standards back then really don't measure up in terms of what we see today in terms of the complexity of how people take in information and all the channels out there. Totally. So I think the biggest thing to really start with is that there is more data out there that's measurable and captured and at your fingertips than than there ever was before, really. I remember when I first sort of like cut my teeth in advertising, you know, over uh, you know, a half dozen years ago. And it was it was really, really just starting with like social media platforms were just building out where you actually had sort of data analytics on the on the back end. Uh, and then the way media development and marketing and media planning and management dramatically changed based on data as well. So essentially, you had things where previously you were putting out marketing to the world and using really qualitative forms of research to see what was working, what wasn't working, and then sort of making informed decisions on that. And now there's been a huge, huge shift to using really quantitative, you know, numerical, big data analysis to be able to to inform your marketing trends. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying is there there might have been a version of performance marketing in a previous generation, but it was a lot more labor intensive. It was a lot more focus groups and surveys in terms of measurement. So the, the thing is, we may have measured things before, but now we have new tools and new insights. We do. And not only new tools and new insights, but really being able to look at things across a wide variety of channels. So previously, when we thought about looking at data from this sort of like qualitative perspective from this user group and focus group, we were able to kind of see users, here's where they interacted with a billboard, here's how they heard a radio ad, Mm -hmm. and then sort of put all that data together and then, you know, inform marketing decisions moving forward. Now we can actually look at a user as an individual person who interacts with all of these different channels and we can track them across those channels and see it as really one unified experience to help sort of inform not only how we how we advertise and reach reach out to consumers as a brand, but also being able to meet them where they are. So if mm-hmm. you know people tend to interact more through an app versus a website, or if someone prefers to call versus use a you know chat functionality like Zendesk, you can market those tools directly to them and follow the user across that entire journey. Mm-hmm. So when... You know, one thing I, I we hear a lot about in different um, realms of, of, of uh, technology is this whole idea of being data-driven as opposed to, well, trusting our gut. Well, actually, we can look at the data. If you sort of overlay, you know, that sensibility onto what we're talking about here with performance marketing, I guess what I'm curious about is when we used to evaluate customer sentiment through maybe some of these old means of, of uh, focus groups and whatnot, I, I'm wondering whether it was more qualitative back then. People were making more judgment calls and that 
So not only do we have more information now, but it's a lot more objective and, and there's a lot more data that we can really uh, rely on as opposed to just, you know, what some executive thinks a person is feeling about a billboard. Yes, exactly. So that kind of objectivity is really what's crucial in today's day and age and, and really informing performance marketing. We can essentially take hard and fast data and then use that to further optimize and strategize for long-term campaign planning and management while being able to make those updates in live time. So for instance, if you see a campaign that's not working from a digital channel, so you're running a um, LinkedIn in-mail campaign, and you notice it isn't performing as well as maybe one that you've ran in the past, you can compare that data side by side in an extremely quantitative sort of way and pick out, hey, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, here's how we can capitalize on the strategy that's worked in the past, and here's how what we sort of tested out in sort of a beta phase didn't work that we can kind of, you know, take out back and shoot. Yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned that, here's what worked. Uh, you know, because a lot of this is so new and it's, it's constantly evolving, it's the question of benchmarking, you know, I mean, a lot of exactly. you know, previous market research, there may be decades of, well, we know that a car ad should get this many, you know, this much interest, et cetera. But for organizations that are saying, yeah, okay, I, I'm, I'm on board, I get into this, I realize the value of performance marketing, but what are my benchmarks? How do I know, like when you mentioned this LinkedIn, he's, how do you know what's successful? Sure. Um, like, a, like, you know, it's like, where are those benchmarks and how do we set them and adjust them over time? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is really to build out those key performance indicators, so your KPIs from the get-go. And those KPIs, even backing up a little bit further, should be based on a clearly outlined objective that everyone has agreed upon, so you're all aligning and shooting towards the same thing. And that key objective, it's important to know, across sort of this omni-channel of platforms that we've discussed, that key objective might look a little bit different for someone who's coming onto your website versus a lead who might be calling you directly versus someone who might be engaging with your Instagram account. Mm -hmm. But outlining what those KPIs are and then me measuring them week over week is- Or maybe even day over day. And maybe yeah. even day over day, depending yeah. upon what it is, is really important that you're showing the same- data. So what I mean by that is like some red flags or concerns is if you're seeing data and you're measuring and saying, you know what, it's really great that we had this many views or we had this many clicks, but week over week you're looking at, oh, we had this many views this week or the next week you're looking at, we had this many clicks this week. It needs to make sure that it stays consistent so that whatever that KPI is that you decided, that you're looking at that every time you're sort of running those reports, doing that reporting on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and are driving toward those same objectives. Now, I, I, I want to ask you about scale, like the difference between, uh, I don't know, a, a, a mid-sized company that has a, an something going on along these lines or, you know, large multinational. I mean, performance marketing, I would imagine you could use it any different scale, but uh, you have the issues of analytics and, and, and you know, concurrency and all that. How, how, do, you, how do you sort of uh, calibrate the approach depending on the scale you're operating on? So data in and of itself is is kind of worthless if it's not analyzed. And so I think it's really important to think about you do have all of this data, but to be really, really targeted in your approach. And like that's the way to scale, whether you're a small company or a big company, you should be able to pick out data sets that are important to your company, to your key objectives, and to your target audience, and then back up against those. Otherwise, you get really lost in the data. I mean, mm -hmm. you can spend hours and hours and hours going through Google Analytics or the back of uh, social media platforms 
just completely buried in that. And the goal is not to get buried, but to be able to to use that information to inform your decisions. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have those sort of key objectives, those KPIs to back up against, you're going to kind of drown in a sea of information without it actually driving any strategy. Yeah, it's almost like you, you need a framework to, to as from the beginning, you need a, a kind of a framework, almost a lens to, to sort of know what you're looking for and know what's important. So it's a guide that you can navigate this ocean of data. I mean, I mean you know, big data folks, they call it a data lake, and there's a reason, because there's tons of it. Yes. Um, so I guess the next question about that is, you know, we do all our due diligence, we, we, we set up our KPIs, we start the campaign, and we, you know, uh, we're looking for certain trends that we think, we, we, you know, we might see or we're hoping we'll see. But the beauty of big data is that um, we're collecting all sorts of information and finding new patterns so that we're, we're running across insights we may not even have predicted. Um, so how, generally speaking, how do you strike the balance between sort of validating what you think you're looking for and hoping for, but still, you know, you know being open-minded enough and having the data help you with that so that you can keep an eye out for new insights and not have like blinders on with exactly what you're looking for? How do you sort of strike that balance between your expectations and sort of looking for new patterns? Yeah, so I have a, a great example, actually. Uh, several years back, before advertising on Reddit even existed, I remember I was looking at the back end of Google Analytics for a client, and we ran into this thing where we saw all of this referral traffic from Reddit, and we were like, how did this how did this happen? Reddit wasn't even on our radar for things that we were doing marketing or advertising on or with, and we were getting all of this, I mean, really substantial amount of organic referral traffic. Now, we could have said the KPIs we're looking at are specifically on Pinterest, are on Facebook, are on our organic website. We're also seeing, you know, tracking everything across Am- Amazon as well. It was an e- e-commerce store. And I think one of the biggest changes was we saw this spike and we were, even though it wasn't something we were necessarily, uh, you know, had been on our radar previously, why would we not capitalize on a good organic thing that was happening? Mm-hmm. And so if you are able to see those spikes and trends, especially if you're looking at it week over week, you'll, you'll see those, those trends happening, then that can kind of spark new ideas for getting onto channels and platforms that you may have never thought would, would add value to your performance marketing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Google Analytics, and you know a lot of different listeners. They have many different kinds of scenarios that they may be dealing with, and some folks may say, "Oh, I need yeah, that's that performance marketing sounds cool. I got Google Analytics for that." But my my sense is it's more than just that. I mean, yeah, it is so much more than that. And I think you know we kind of touched on this this briefly, but when we're talking about performance marketing, which is at its very core, using data to drive decisions, and that if it's not measurable, then it's not going to be included. So that's really what performance marketing is at the core, right? But performance marketing takes place over across a wide variety of channels, which we also kind of briefly touched upon. So when we're talking about an omni-channel, it's saying that a consumer can meet with your brand on an app, on a website, in person, over a call, over chat, and that creating an omni-channel is creating a unified brand across all of those things where everyone has this sort of same experience. Mm-hmm. So when you combine those sort of things, you think about performance marketing and you sort of think about this omni-channel of data, no, it doesn't all live on Google Analytics. It lives on a lot of different platforms. My biggest recommendation is you shouldn't only be looking at the individual platforms, but there are so many great automation tools out there like Automate.io where you can really set up sort of linking strategies so you can start to look at all of that data in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another uh, theme th- across big data is the idea of 
data scientists know how to work with data and manipulate and experiment, but obviously the, the more we can enable and empower uh, democratized data to business users uh, through apps or other types of you know packaged up complexity so they can work through these things, dashboards and whatnot, uh, the better. If the business users have the domain expertise, totally. they know about marketing. Um, how does that apply to um, when we talk about performance marketing? Like someone might be listening and say, boy, that sounds great, but I don't have a data scientist. Uh, you know, how, how do you sort of accommodate the business user at their level but still give them, you know, the power that, that comes with this type of capability? Yeah, there are so many platforms and apps out there that will do the work for you. Databox is a great example of, you know, sort of a tool and dashboard where you can essentially link all of these different accounts and see all of the data in one place and then manipulate the data from there. And you, it actually updates in live time. So you can see it sort of every time you pull up your, pull up your dashboard, you can see exactly what's happening across a wide variety of channels. So, you know, I know it's like an old phrase, but it's important to work Smarter, not harder, right? Mm -hmm. So I yeah. could go across Facebook and pull data there, and I could go across Google Analytics and pull data there, and I could grab stuff from the back end of Instagram or Reddit. or You know, I can pull all of these things and then side-by-side side compare. When I was doing data analytics, you know, six to eight years ago, I mean, we were manually pulling these things and then manually integrating the data and manually <laughs> comparing it, and it was painful, and yeah. it took so much time, and you had to hire on advertising agencies or outside people to do that. Now, thanks to automation, integration, you should be able to give an initial setup of maybe three to four hours and then be able to see that in lifetime moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, you know, I wanna, one of the, the goals of this podcast is really to sort of give, you know, to, to sort of empower listeners to do what they can. Uh, there may be times they need to interact with an agency or, or, or partners that, that, that can sort of refine that kind of work. But regardless of their particular approach, can you sort of walk me through the life cycle of like uh, the, 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 there's an ad, there's a marketing challenge or a goal, and you know just you know just sort of walk through like what the steps are like the, the whole the whole life cycle from when you first have an idea and you want to engage performance marketing. Um, just an example that we might have worked on or that you've heard of before. Totally. So I'll keep this pretty pretty high level, so it's it's applicable across the board. But the first thing that I always do is outline what is the key objective, who is the target audience, what is the target audience's problem, how do we solve for that as a business, build out key performance indicators, set up a campaign, execute against that, optimize while it's running, report on the findings, and then analyze as necessary to create your next campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. You know, it, it, and, and that last sort of those last couple steps to me uh, are intriguing because, you know, just like so much else in terms of business technology, there's one thing to have insights, but to make them actionable is, is what's really important. So in the performance marketing space, how do you get to the point of if you're lucky enough to have found some insights and some trends and they, they seem to be... Uh, seem to be accurate in terms of your, your, your label brand, so to speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, do you, how do you make it actionable? Like, what do you do with all that information? Sure. So I think the biggest thing is, too, it's almost like you ran a marketing campaign. Now what? And so after you've run that initial campaign, hopefully whatever that key performance indicator was. So say you were doing a lead generation campaign, and now you have all of these 
names and email addresses or pieces of contact information as to how you can can reach out to these reach out to these people. Well, you've now ran one campaign. You have some some warm warm leads, right? Because you were doing a top of the funnel campaign and kind of seeing who who sort of fell down that funnel a little bit. And then it's really all about nurturing those leads and making them go from a really cold lead into some of a warm lead so that further down the funnel you're able to convert that lead. So maybe if you did something that was a little bit broader, you started to gather those leads, your second phase to your campaign really should be retargeting those people. And in today's day and age, based on the data, based on omni-channel, based on performance-driven marketing, it's really important to know that you can now target those people, not just based on email addresses, but based on names, IP addresses, and really create a persona for Rich as a person and what he's like on LinkedIn and what he's like on Facebook and what he's like when he's on his Gmail and what he's like when he's searching for things and, and target them that way as, you know, not only retargeting, but as really pushing people further down a campaign funnel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's um, you and I have had, had conversations before about just striking that balance as, that we, as we find more data um, and we know more about people. Uh, customization is good. Personalization is good. And there's that term out there, customized without creepy, like not sort of going over the line where we know totally. a little bit too much about somebody. Um, so how do you um, how do you sort of gauge the, that ethical judgment about you know how to leverage information and to customize, but sort of still um, honor some lines of privacy and you know, can't you know that kind of thing. Yeah, so a lot of this will come back to sort of communication ethics and and really tie into, you know, your core of who you are, what you believe as an as an agency and as a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there was one time pretty early on in my career where I was asked to geotarget a congress member. We had his address. Again, the internet is a creepy thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things on public <laughs> record. We had his address that so we could target him as home. We knew where he liked to go to eat. We knew where his office was. We obviously knew where he was meeting for Congress. Uh, And this was before there were really strict regulations on this as well. And a client asked us to do this. And I remember being like, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. This is a little bit too, this is a little bit too far. And at that point, we had to make an ethical decision as to whether that was something we were comfortable, comfortable doing or not. What I use as a gauge for whether I'm comfortable or doing something or not is does this help to solve a user's problem? Mm -hmm. So personalization and customization, balancing a user's right to privacy is a very fine line. But I think a really good baseline is, would you be comfortable with it if it was happening to yourself? Right? So Mm -hmm. sort of flipping the script a little bit. Do unto others. Do unto (laughs) others, all of that. Age-old tales all this time, right? And then the other thing is, does it help to solve a user's problem? So for instance... I love shoes. I have a shoe addiction. I buy them all the time. It is very, very unhealthy. However, (laughs) if I've been looking for this perfect pair of red bottoms and I've searched on it on my phone, through apps, I've looked on it on the web, and suddenly I get a retargeted ad on Instagram of exactly what I have been looking for that's 30% off. Mm -hmm. I'm sold. Is it creepy that they followed me across all these different things and I never once entered this into Instagram? Kind of, but did it solve my problem? Yes, I still ended up converting and buying the shoes. So at the end of the day, I think users tend to think it's less creepy if it helps them. Almost like, you know, I know you guys have probably heard this before, 
but kind of like the romantic gesture, right? So if a romantic gesture is made and it's from someone that you have an affinity for, mm -hmm. right? Then it's this adorable, amazing thing. It's great. It benefited you. You loved it. If you do not have an affinity for that person and they make this huge romantic gesture, like throwing rocks outside your window, it goes from being this huge romantic gesture to being creepy. Mm -hmm. I think we should treat marketing the same sort of way. If a customer already has an affinity for you and they've already warmed up to you, you can get away with a lot more and have it come across as this great thing as opposed to falling into the creepy stalker yeah, it's brand. Almost like, it's almost like that next step makes sense to me. Thank you for connecting those dots. Exactly. Um, so part of it, yeah, it sounds like it's almost like a, a, a it's almost like a, a balance where, yes, it's good you understand me and you've connected those dots in a way that benefits me. Uh, whereas if you say to the senator, hey, we noticed you rented a hotel room for an hour. Do you need a, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, you know me, but I don't want to be known that way. You know, so, so it sounds like there's a, there's a couple of different axes along which we need to sort of gauge these kind of efforts. Um, Precisely. So uh, just one or two more questions. Uh, are there any particular sectors or industries or kinds of what products, services, you know, large purchases, you know, uh, small purchases, any, any patterns to where uh, performance marketing works better or how to calibrate it differently? Any, any rules of thumb in terms of how to approach, you know, the general contours of the tools we use depending on the industry or the product we're looking to sell? Or so is, it, is it really less... just a customized, you know, case by case? Yeah, so I actually think it's less industry-specific and more objective and strategy specific. So I think if you're trying to sell a product, it's going to come across really similar regardless of what the vertical is and how you use performance marketing. I think that if your objective is to sell a product, that you're gonna be tend to use sort of the same channels as long as a target audience aligns with that. If a target audience doesn't align with that, that's when I think that you see some like different channels, so your performance marketing strategy will change. But a lot of the tried and true methods really work across the board, depending upon what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then just, just last question. Um, th this is something that comes up again and again as well, especially when we talk about automation and technology at scale. Analytics are great, but on their own, uh, they can only do so much. So how do you sort of strike that balance between using the technology to do all this, but to still have the human judgment involved, that nexus between technology and uh, a human judgment expertise, in particular with marketing? So I love technology. I always have. But the robots are not going to take over anytime soon. And what I mean by that is technology can only go but so far. And I think once we sort of hit that impasse, that's where human intelligence, interaction, and analysis comes into play. We should definitely use the medium of technology to leverage and elevate how much we can do beyond that. And so that, again, we can work so much smarter and more effectively and harder, but we should also make sure to sort of have that, that human interaction and peace there because the technology can sort of crunch the numbers and give you some, some results, but we still do need that human interaction and touch at this point. All right. Well, Abigail Bracey, thanks so much for joining us here on Lay of the Brand. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks. It's been a pleasure.
Abigail Bracey is a senior marketing project manager. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by the Merit Group, a strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, digital marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories. Lay of the Brand's executive producer is Melissa Chadwick. Francesca Elatrash is our producer and showrunner. Graphic design by Haley Baumgartner. You got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback about Lay of the Brand? We'd love to hear from you. Just subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes. Spread the words and tell your friends to like us as well. To learn more about Merit Group, check out www.meritgrp.com. Merit.